Greetings and welcome back to Libraries Leading the New Normal podcast. It's been a while since our last episode. Lots of personal and professional changes in our lives, mostly all good. We're still up to the same lineup, however. We have with us Beth Watan, assistant professor at Syracuse University School of Information Studies. Mike Eisenberg, the founding dean and faculty emeritus from the University of Washington's high school. And me, myself, and I, Dave Lankus the Virginia and Charles Bowden Professor of Librarianship at the University of Texas at Austin. We plan on doing, uh, continuing up with the podcast about one per month scheduled these days. So this is our September 2022 episode. For those of you counting, our number 19th overall. Thank you for listening to our Libraries Lead podcast. Please keep spreading the word. Send us feedback at info at libraryslead.org and review us on your favorite podcast app. And we are very grateful to our academic sponsors, the University of Texas High School and the Syracuse University High School, and as always, Ace Chicago Events. Hi, Beth. Hi, Mike. Please remind us of why we're here. Yeah, we started this podcast because the last couple of years have been hard on us all, and it seems like there are some life-altering, transformative changes taking place. And we wanted to talk about this new normal and the various aspects of life, work, fun, and what are or might be the roles libraries and information might play. We also wanted to delve deeper into the unique roles and opportunities for libraries and librarians to help people in this new normal. Our podcast runs approximately one hour and includes a what's up from each of us, a deeper dive into a main topic, and as always, we'll end with our awesome library thingies. So let's get right to it. Dave, what's up with you? Well, what's up with these, as uh, you and I know, well, you don't because you're on research leave, but the semester has gotten going um, and uh, I get to teach one of my favorite courses, uh, which is a, our perspectives on information class. And it gets about 50 students everywhere from archivists, librarians, data scientists, UX designers, all in one class. And we spend the semester wondering why the heck we're there, but it's been, it's, it really is fun to bring all those different perspectives in and connect and see what's going on. And the other what's up, and then I will shut up, is because no doubt you've been changing the world, um, <laughs> is that uh, my son, my eldest son, Riley, has started his master's degree in Dublin, Ireland. So my wife uh, had to, of course, go over and settle him in. And from all the Facebook pictures, apparently settling into graduate education in Dublin, Ireland involves a lot of pub crawling. So uh, <laughs> that's me. What's up with you, Mike? Uh, well, uh, I've done some moving. We have uh, kind of sold our house in Seattle and uh, we'll still be coming back for the family. But uh, that was a, a big upheaval. And I've been on the professional side. I've been working with SUNY Albany's school. Um, they're expanding, doing some really good stuff. And um, I'm helping them right now with their branding because they're in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Information. And how about that for a catalogers nightmare? <laughs> how do you catalog that? And uh, But I'm excited because you, you both know that I, I consider branding really important because it's information work. It's a way to describe uh, concepts, ideas and ideals in a way that um, really encompasses the message and gets it through the, the whole McLuhan medium is the message thing. I have some ideas and I'm working with them 
And I'm also sitting back and actually feeling very good about the field in spite of the hits that we're taking and we're going to talk about today. I think uh, information science, the information field, library science is actually doing quite well. And our role in society is um, being recognized. But we'll, we'll talk about that more. Okay. And Beth, what about you? Yeah, so I am on research leave. So that has definitely been what's up with me. I've been trying to crochet some and I'm going to get to, I'm, I, I am going to travel and take a few trips to give a couple of talks um, and, and some fun trips also. I found out last month or so that I won the Robert Benjamin Junior Faculty Research at Syracuse. Um, so that was very exciting. They put my name on a plaque. <laughs> so if you're ever in this, in the, if you're ever in the Syracuse I School, you can check me out on the second floor. You'll see my name up there. And Dave um, and I know Bob Benjamin, so it's yeah. very meaningful. Yeah, sure. And neither um, of us were on the plaque. So <laughs> neither of you are on the platform. thing that I have done that neither of you have done, which is not that much in the library world, I think. <laughs> so it's pretty impressive. Um, and then personally, uh, next week, uh, my partner Brian is going to be doing the cycle of the South Hope Ride. And so they raise money for the American Cancer Society. And he's riding his bike from Charlotte to Charleston. And I'm going to drive one of the safety vehicles in case someone can't ride anymore. I'll be able to take them to the next stop. And um, I just completed my training today. <laughs> and now I'm a little bit terrified to do it and keep all of those folks. There's going to be 32 riders and we have four cars. Um, and so I'm it being my first time for a kind of multi-day race like this. I'm a little bit nervous, but. She said I had to keep them safe from wolves and snakes. And I was like, I didn't sign up for that. Mm -hmm. And then she said it wasn't really a wolf. It was a, what did she say? Like a coyote? She, no, it was, it was just a big dog. It was a German shepherd. And I was like, okay, I can handle that. But I was not getting out of the car if there's a wolf. Count me out. So, But a German shepherd, you're in. I mean, I feel like i mean with like a horn or something i like also am not <laughs> gonna i mean they're already out of the car right like this is not how you win a zombie apocalypse i'm not getting out of the car you're gonna, under you are attack. going what you're what you've just volunteered and been trained to do is to run over a german shepherd with a car while <laughs> yeah okay i could maybe i like i don't want to have to hurt an animal Listed also under the things that Don't Mike and I have never done. We <laughs> have never, never done that. Never done that. I'm going to do what I could do to keep the driver safe. I'm going to do a little bit of like Red Cross training at yeah, the beginning well, of next that's week. That's good. That like is that, emergency so. preparedness. I like that. <laughs> and it's is. something that would have helped you also in your Katrina work and things. Yeah, yeah. And it may come in handy again, because as we travel around, there is the climate apocalypse. All right, we're going to take a very, very short break, collect our thoughts, and come back with our main topic, which is WTF, folks. What is going on in our society? We'll be right back. Okay, we're back here for the main topic of our podcast which is 
a few things have gone on since we last talked. <laughs> and what the hell is going on with this world? It really does. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. And then it gets worse again and then again. So librarians are the new public enemy, number one. They're in everybody's crosshairs. Librarians, really? Because we are you know, destroying our society and our youth by making books available and, and resources and things. Book censorship and actual book burning in the year 2022. There is book burning um, in this country. Uh, we have a heavy-handed government control of schools and curriculum, and higher education is not immune for this. And in some states that some of us are associated with, um, <laughs> the, the I called it the handmaid's tale-like um, approach to women in our society. I mean, that was kind of like an apocalyptic joke that, and, and it's real. I mean, these people are talking about contraception and putting people in jail for almost thinking about having an abortion. Um, then we have, of course, the climate catastrophe, which really is destroying. We go from, you know, fires one day to floods the next day. It really is biblical. If you uh, buy into that kind of thing, the war in Ukraine, I mean, I never could believe that in the year 2022, that a country would invade another country in the way that countries were invaded in World War II, really, in, in this world, in this society. And then the, the, the vitriol and the hate and the strife from one side and the other. You know, where it's not enough to disagree with somebody. You got to hate them and, and hope that really bad things happen to them. So I, I'm exhausted by it and um, I need help, guys. So what the F, you know, what's going on? And uh, uh, help me out here. Beth, take, take me off the ledge uh, on this one. I, <laughs> I don't know if I can help you off the ledge. I'm also not going to push you off the ledge, but... Okay. I, you know, one of the things for me that I've really been paying attention to this week that is in multimedia and related to libraries is the Little Mermaid story. And of course, in 2019, they announced that they were going to do a live action Little Mermaid and that the mermaid was going to be Halle Bailey. And they came out with the trailer this week and already the trailer has something like a million and a half dislikes. And one of the things that people are really taking an issue with is the race of the mermaid. And this is not surprising, right? This is not the first time we've seen this kind of conversation. Um, it is weird for a fairy tale about a fictional creature that does not exist to be caught up in like human characteristics. But, you know, for me, as a Black girl growing up who loved fantasy books and unicorns and fairies and mermaids, I watched Splash as a little girl and like my mom caught me with the table salt in the bathroom, pouring it into the water. And I thought if I like touched my arm just in the right spot, I was going to totally turn into a mermaid. Like you could not have convinced me otherwise that Splash wasn't real at that mm -hmm. point. But you know what I never saw was a black mermaid or a black fairy or a black elf 
or with the exception of like Star Trek, even black people in sci-fi or in futuristic kinds of things. And so if now that you all got me addicted to TikTok, thanks for that very much in one of our past episodes. One of the beautiful things that's happened for me this week is watching all of the other little girls react to the trailer. And I've spent multiple hours this week crying, watching those videos and crying, I think also for the little girl that I was and, and what these girls get to see in terms of real representation of themselves as like a Disney princess. Heard so many stories about, you know, girls playing and their friends telling them, you know, you can't be Ariel because you're Black. There's no Black Disney princesses. And I'm so glad that this next generation of girls is going to get to grow up in a world where there are Black Disney princesses. Um, and that they're going to see themselves reflected, not just as people, but also in these fantasy and alternative worlds that so many of us have been able to turn to and escape in, you know, both in terms of media and movies, but also in our books that we that we share. And, you know, something about that today, Mike, has given me hope mm. because even with all the hate and the strife and the conversations around the race of the mermaid, I just can't get over the beauty of those little girls seeing themselves reflected in, in that, in that movie. And so will those kinds of things we'll see, will looking at little kids seeing themselves reflected and really being represented, is that enough to change folks? Mm. But that, that has been giving me hope today. And so I'd say, Mike, if you want a pick-me-up, just go search, you know, blind reactions to The Little Mermaid and watch some of those kids. Hmm. Dave, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a discussion towards the, the latter part of the last season where I sort of, it was during a break. I'm not sure we ever edited in where I just sort of had my frustration about book challenges and other white Yeah. And I've come a bit further along than that. And so um, I guess in a quantum world, I've both jumped off the, the ledge and have walked off at the same time. But um, <laughs> it's, it's the academic in me that is trained to be um, observational that, you know, many, as many people who know me will know, I quickly overcome that, but, but trained at least to be observational and look at the way things are happening and such. And part of the reason that it's, good that we're having all of this crap is that it used to be hidden and put into corner and power was very much vested in those people who could not want to have that conversation. And a lot of what we're seeing are those people now not have the power to suppress the conversation and doing their desperate best to crawl it back. So that's ugly progress, but progress. And so I go, okay, because, for example, the, the current narrative that is going on across the country, uh, and certainly in Texas as well as parental rights, and the notion is we're not banning books. We are simply reserving certain conversations for parents to have it when they're ready, as opposed to the school having it for them, which sounds great. But ultimately, what that really means is, so we don't want to have a conversation about homosexuality. We don't have a conversation about trans. We don't have a conversation about race. We don't have a conversation about all the stuff that this one minority voice doesn't want to have. And they're saying those are parents' rights, that their rights are equal to everyone's rights. So 
you know, but the problem, of course, is it's a beautiful use of rhetoric. It is a, once again, the observational person who goes, Mwah! beautiful use of rhetoric, you bastards. Um, and so part of me says, okay, this is how progress works. We get through this, et cetera. But then part of me sees the absolute horror show that it really has a real effect. And if we don't, it will not automatically lead to progress. It takes action. And so um, I was at a meeting um, of a really brilliant group of librarians, small rural librarians, public librarians, and this was a major topic. And when they were talking about the, um, the legislative agenda coming up here in Texas, which I think Mike might have been referring to when he said a certain state, there are two pieces of legislation that are potentially interesting for this upcoming. One is an attempt to quote unquote, tighten obscenity laws. That is on the books, there are obscenity laws that if you knowingly and deliberately expose children to obscene materials, you can be put in jail It's part of the penal code. And once again, there's good reasons for that, right? The problem isn't the concept of children should have somewhat protective status of whatever adults want to throw at them. I get that. But there are exceptions in that law now, one of which specifically is around libraries and librarians. That is, we collect materials and you don't want to take anything that's collected in the library and apply it solely to what children should or shouldn't be exposed to, because then what you've done is re reduce the discourse of all libraries, academic and public, down to the level of children. And so there's an exemption. But now, of course, in Texas, there's a specific attempt, though there's a question about whether it's going to happen or not, to, reduce, to, to remove those kinds of restrictions. So that's, that's one. Two, at the same time, we have legislation in, once again, in Texas, which is about what kinds of things are increasingly be, being considered with parental rights that we shouldn't expose. Critical race theory, is already, in Texas, that war at K-12 has already been lost. It's, it's, it's already on the books. The idea, even though we don't teach critical race theory in primary and secondary schools. Anyway, the idea of parental rights being introduced into that and which is a really different narrative around, if you know, the evolution of public education, it was never about parents dictating. It was about society coming up with a curriculum, basically, uh, that we felt that everyone needed and started with social studies and math and reading, et cetera. And so now it's the idea that even for uh, coming up with new curriculum, particularly for school libraries, they're creating a statewide board that will have parental representation on it and yet to figure out what that means. So that's number two. And number three, they're talking about taking issues of critical race theory and issues of history and such and taking what they have been doing around the core curriculum in K-12 education. And, and Mike and I, having done a lot of work in educational resources, Texas has always been about retrograde curriculum and controlling textbooks, but now it's just being mean more more and pushing that into higher education. And so right now, the current discussion isn't necessarily that I, as a professor of information science teaching graduate students, mentioned critical race theory, I'm going to be fired. But it is discussions about the history 101 courses, um, the required liberal arts core, those kinds of things. And so if you put those three pieces of real, honest to God, legislative action in place, what you end up with, which I think is in some ways much more terrifying than the idea that we won't have libraries, that we will have libraries that will be 
restricted shelves in tightly controlled propaganda dissemination or children's literature borrowing of white majority stuff. So those are the two things that, that I look at is I see a real path whereby you can look at hollowing out the goal of librarianship. The fun part of this, the thing that gives me hope, besides some of the things I'll talk about later, is looking at the, in this group of librarians, we we're talking about all this, the librarians were standing up and ready. In many cases, librarians that I told my mayor, if they pull one book, I walk. Um, we have people that are actively in the media right now through this process who come to this meeting and saying, yeah, it's a son of a bitch, but I'm going to keep going. We, and, and so it was really to see the courage of librarians in the face of this. Now, that's not all librarians, not all situations, but this was a really interesting cross-section. Um, and so uh, it's, that's, that's been interesting um, because when I was in South Carolina for six years before this, there were discussions about getting rid of tenure systems, which was vaguely about this topic, but now it's becoming an explicit way of building it into tenure, right? These are now you know, the, the sort of fall, this, this presenting this critical view of history is now a reason to actually to talk about dismissal, right? That's not there yet, but that's certainly what's being introduced around. And I have a president who's standing, gonna stand up and say, that's not what universities are about. We're about free expressive education. Look, here's some conservative stuff. Here's, and so I guess the bad news is we've been going through a couple of years of, of WTF. We're, I don't think we're at the beginning of this. I think we're at the best in the middle of this, maybe at the end of the beginning. Um, you know, I don't think we're near near a conclusion. But what I do see is when I see the trends of, of who's lining up to stand up, who's lining up to have this conversation, I'm seeing librarians step up. I am seeing communities stand up. And what I love, love, love in K-12 education more than I can say is seeing students stand up and yeah. say, this is not how you should educate me. Um, this is my right. And to see um, these libraries where, where the boards have dismissed librarians and gone directly to doing this, where they're getting sued over First Amendment rights, where they're getting um, sued around representation of all the people, not simply the people who elected me because you're in a different role for that. Um, and I, so I, I see that as really strong hope um, to see people standing up and, and moving ahead on some of these things. I don't know. Mike, I don't know if that gets you off the ledge. Where are you with your ledge walking? Well, so I, I do want to re respond to that. And I think what you're kind of saying is this has gotten so out of hand and so much overreach, just like the Supreme Court decision on abortion, that it's taking a little time, but we're seeing that this overreach is really waking people up that people were kind of sleeping through this and not that concerned you know there was a book challenge here and there and it might have been okay and they were putting some pressure on the curriculum and you know in the state of florida they're doing this and then and whatever but all of a sudden just like abortion rights and women's rights they're saying oh whoa 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 wait a second you guys, this is not what we're about. This is not the kind of country. We don't burn books in this country and libraries fulfill an important role. What scares me a little is, and you're showing the, the, the courageous librarians and things. I don't know if you read the Sunday New York Times magazine, 
but there were a number of articles in there, and one in particular that described libraries and library directors and whatever who were not standing up, who in fact were self-censoring even ahead of time. And I remember that. I remember teaching about that decades ago, where librarians, if you're looking over your shoulder and you don't want a controversial thing to happen, therefore you just kind of put those things aside. So I'm not sure that in the field it's as uniform as you're saying. And and maybe that's one of the action points. You know, we always try to talk in this podcast about what we can do to make things better and, and to move forward. And that is to wake people up that says, you can't stay on the sidelines about this kind of thing. That when it, and just, and the same thing on the national level about big issues like climate change, that, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, we need to do something about it, but you can't stand on the sidelines when, you know, half of Pakistan and Mississippi are underwater, you know? Um, and if this glacier in Antarctica really does fracture like they're talking about, six feet or 10 feet of a rise in the coastal areas has an implication for Charleston, South Carolina, where, you know, you used to be and, and the whole Gulf Coast area and things. So um, maybe, so, you know, the, the hope that I can take, are you saying is, Mike, this is, has been a huge wake up call and where, you know, there was this nicety around the edges and, and playing by the rules that all of a sudden women are seeing and people that support women um, who should be everybody are saying, no, 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 we're, we're not, we're not taking this bullshit. And we're not, we're not just talking about abortion rights. We're talking about everything guys. And, 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 but then you have, and I know it's in Texas, but in Florida, you have uh, an autocratic governor with a lot of power who can declare and take over and do things without having to, I mean, he dismisses, you know, public officials because he doesn't like them. He's taken over the universities. I mean, this is the, and, and I think uh, President Biden is absolutely right. This is semi-fascist on its way to fascism that we're seeing. Book burning in public, and not just two or three books, but hundreds of books, and, and books that we would never think of being challenged. And again, what blows my mind is we're back to, you know, the fundamentals of libraries having to defend just books, print books we're talking about. Although they did notice that things like uh, Overdrive and eBooks were being canceled because they provide access to materials uh, outside of the local control, which is great. I mean, I, I love that idea. And so I think it's, you know, there was a book that when I was in the uh, throes of my early education uh, as a teacher in the 70s called Teaching as a Subversive Activity by Neil Postman. And I really think it's librarianship and information work and advocacy as a subversive activity to say, you do not speak, you're, you're, you're a minority. You have a right to have your voice known, but you're not going to scare people. And the fact that they use social media 
to intimidate and to threaten and in some ways to harm people is is also what's concerning to me. So, you know, you helped a, a certain amount by saying that, you know, it's it's a wake up call, but I'm not sure that everybody's gotten the message. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, I, I, so one thing I think we know is that there's never any time where everybody's gonna get the message. And so one of the things that I try to get my class to think about is like, who is in their sphere of influence that they can actually help grow, change, shift, adjust, whatever it is. And so when we talk about like, how can we help you and everybody else is that like, you're not going to change your ridiculously bigoted uncle's mind and spending your time fighting with him about climate change is a waste for all of us. But like who is, hasn't thought about it, maybe doesn't, you know, is somewhere in the middle or just maybe really hasn't spent the time to like engage with that topic that you can like help and teach and like grow in that way. So that that's one of the things I would say is like, who like, don't worry about the people you know, and that are really super far, right? Yeah. Who's in your sphere of influence that you can help shift. And, you know, when you were talking, it reminded me of the sixties because not because I was there, but because I spent so much time studying it, but it reminds me of the stories about like Bull Connor and the fire hoses and how, and the kind of strategy that happened around what kinds of pictures we took and what kind of pictures Mm -hmm. we shared and whether that is manipulation or strategy, that's a different conversation. But, you know, I also think about my grandmother getting arrested, right? It painted a picture of like what it meant to be in Alabama and be a pregnant woman and mm-hmm. not be able to get a cheeseburger, right? When other people read about that, people who would have necessarily been interested in the civil rights movement, all of a sudden now they can see like, hey, this is a really big problem. And I'll and I'll I'll just follow this up. My mom is pretty apolitical, I'd say. And um, they came up to Syracuse this weekend. We went to see Elton John. It was amazing um, in the in the dome. And um, there's a new bookstore that opened across the street from my condo, which is a a real problem for me because every time I look out of the window, I see the bookstore and I have to walk by it and I have zero self-control when it comes to books. But we were in there and one of their main big tables was the banned books table, which of course we see all the time in libraries, but I don't see it as often in bookstore. And maybe that's because I don't let myself go in them all the time. But my mom saw the table and she's like, oh, banned books. What does that mean? She's, you know, I've been a librarian for (laughs) 20 years almost. She's never asked me that question before. And then she looked and she said, who would want to ban Judy Bloom?" And I looked at the table and I was like, well, I'm sure it's, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And I was like, you know, it's about periods and kissing boys and like that kind of puberty and, you know, and kind of getting into the women's rights stuff. Like every little girl read Judy Bloom when I was a kid. And I think when she was growing up as well, and she was really shocked and appalled that that was one of the books. And she was, and I think she walked out of there just being like, what could be so bad about that book? And I was like, nothing. And I was like, and that is the problem with this argument. And so I do think, you know, like in what Dave says, the 
we can't fix anything that we're not shining the light on. And so when these things happen mm -hmm. insidiously and behind doors where people have power, there's no way like no way that folks like my mom can fix it because it's just so far off her radar. But I just think the uh, outlandishness and the atrocities of it all and and now and folks are going to get harmed. So that's the problem with it, right? Like people are already being hurt by this. But I think the drasticness of this is bringing this conversation into places where it wouldn't be. Right. That's that was my sort of yes and here, which is Mike, you know, you were talking about this 20 years ago with librarians. Um, and 20 years ago, it was happening with librarians and self-censorship is happening. And particularly, you know, you were in library school. There are a huge number of libraries in this country that are run by people who have never been to library school and never even graduated college in some cases. And, you know, th this is something where we couldn't have reached them in the classroom. And now this is an ongoing I want to say just like teachers in Florida, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And so, so you know, one, and I think the overreach is important. One of the things that, that strikes me though is Facebook, thank God for Facebook. Um, I have a college, I have a high school friend who I friended on Facebook and I thought that would be pleasant. And, oh my God, it was unpleasant. And parents' rights and everything. And what I was amazed is as I was going back and forth, because it, it started with this message about Disney rolling in his grave by what this evil corporation's doing now. I thought, yes, they're an evil corporation. Then I realized what he was talking about was that they were against Don't Say Gay. And I was like, oh. But what's interesting is when I go into these Facebook dialogues with them, for me, it's like, oh, let me let me tell you why you're why I disagree, whatever. It's a script. There's a script and it's a deep script and it's an intimidating script to go against because there's an answer to everything I raise. And what I look at is in part of this conversation, right? The, the, the Mothers for Freedom and et cetera, these are astroturf institutions. There may be local connections, but there's national feeding them the script, how to create, um, how to create anger and disrupt uh, public meetings. Because there's one thing that is said over and over again, but council members don't want to get yelled at. And so they'll quickly try and find solutions, right? So there's a whole script. There is only now are we developing the counter script. Only now. And so like one of the things that, that I, I just, let me take this opportunity to brag on the Texas Library Association. Their uh, Texans for the Right to Read State Coalition is, yes, librarians. But what I love about it is it's teachers and it's principals and it's mothers and it's fathers and they're putting people together. And now they're organizing people to go to the second meeting where this erupts in the first one. They want to have a, a group there for the second meeting. So we're we're starting to see this. And what I love about looking at the bright side of things, when librarians see it, rather than crumble or rather than hide, what we need to be able to say is someone's got your back and someone has a script. Someone has right. That's what we're supposed to teach in collection development policy, which is write a collection development policy, write a dispute policy, yeah. right? All this other stuff. And what we're finding is. The even, you know, what, what's happening, the two things that make me really happy, well, one makes me really sad, which is even in the presence of these really great dispute policies, the next level up that wants to make these things go away for either they don't want to deal with it or maybe they buy into the ideology, throw the, tear them up and throw them away and move forward. But um, the other thing is that you know, we're seeing, he lost his train of thought, sorry. 
But, you know, we're seeing the idea of how do we develop these scripts? How do we have this? How do we, you know, how do we move ahead? How are we part of this discussion? Oh, and that what we're doing is we're no longer using a false, outdated argument about banning books in libraries shouldn't happen because libraries are unbiased, free expressions of every point of view in the world, right? Now, and I'm seeing this in legislative, I'm seeing it in, in legislative narratives, I'm seeing it in how we're talking about these things is we're talking about these are trained professionals. They have a deep background in this issue. You're going against sort of this expertise in how to provide multiple viewpoints and make representation. And I think that's a positive shift in this dialogue um, that's occurring. I yield my time. Except, except, <laughs> except that part of their appeal is this, um, uh, I'm talking about the other side, is that these elites um, are telling us what to do. It's the whole, you know, Yunkin thing in, in Virginia, where it got out of hand when he was trying to say that their teachers are professionals and they should be making the decisions about curriculum and the whole parental thing. And, and, and of course, we've, I mean, the irony is that we've, we're user-centered, we're people-centered, we're community-centered. We want to bring the community in and have the voices. And we do believe in parental voices, all parental, right. all parents and whatever. And, and um, <laughs> but you are right that um, right now, the, there has been a, a certain script and they repeat it and there's money behind it and local people are are like deers in the headlights they just don't know what hit them because they weren't ready for it and as you try to answer it um it gets worse and worse and now it's gotten where they're using social media to threaten and intimidate people and that's a concern for me i, I wanted to ask beth about the tiktok uh young girls yeah uh, or or kids and because I don't know that much about that. I certainly know about TikTok. And there's been some real negative stuff about TikTok lately because of the Chinese government and whether it should be banned because, you know, China's. Uh, but at the same time, with, what you're saying is that TikTok has provided a platform for kids to create their own messages and to share them and to support each other. Is that, is that what you're saying? So a few things, and I've actually I've thought about TikTok several times. <laughs> Y'all have mentioned different things, but so mostly mm -hmm. what I've seen in terms of the Little Mermaid have really been parents videoing their kids and then sharing it. So not little kids on the platform and interacting, but the parents doing mm -hmm. that. But what I have seen different than that in terms of like the don't say gay bill in Florida and even the abortion rights um, voting in Kansas is what I have seen is an incredible amount of kids, young adults using that platform to share their actual experiences in school and the different kinds of walkouts mm. that they're staging. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. one of the places that I have started to turn to when, and I mean, this is also because like the algorithm is feeding me the things that I want to see, and it, but at least I understand that about the app, I guess. But, um, you know, watching people really, uh, motivate and get together um 
to get people registered to vote in Kansas for for that um, abortion vote. And I think that really showed where women in a conservative state actually stand on that issue more than some of you know, the politicians making decisions for us, because I think we all know if we look at the numbers, that's not happening. So I, I, and I don't know if you guys know who Olivia Giuliani is. I hope I'm saying her name right. She is in Texas. I think she works for the Beto campaign sometimes, and she's an Mm -hmm. activist there. And she's been kind of going back and forth with a few conservative senators, Matt Gates being one of them. And he said something really horrible about her weight. He shared a picture of her and was, you know, I don't know, like who would want her anyways kind of thing. And um, she turned around and kind of trashed him on the internet. But in doing that, she also raised over $2 million for voting rights and abortion rights. And so these kids are 19. They understand social media and they aren't afraid to use it. And so I've seen quite a few different political movements happening in that way. And that also makes me hopeful. Yeah, I mean, you, you, this is, we don't have to look back to the 60s. We don't have to look back <laughs> to the 50s. Right? We can look back to the late 90s and the early 2000s, actually the early 2000s, when we talked about the idea of overreach with the Patriot Act. And it took five anonymous lawyers from Connecticut to fight that. It, we see my favorite right now is the, is the um, I'm just looking at the article, but the idea of uh, Amanda Jones, librarian at the middle school in Denham Springs, who was in the social media attack and all this other stuff and fought back and sued back, right? We're seeing that. We're seeing the Texas Library Association start that. We're seeing the, the counter narratives begin to develop. And even, you know, I, I hear, right, it's that script, the deep script again, right? Librarians should be able to do this because of professionals. No, professional is elitism and is, you know, right? And then we need the next one, which goes, yes, but they're also trained to be part of the community and have the community voice and connection. And, you know, my favorite book still is, um, um, would not surprise anyone, but it's um, George Lakoff's Don't Think of an Elephant, which is all about the use of rhetoric and terminology in general, but particularly in politics. And so we're, we're seeing that. And one of the things that I think that I, I like about, and that's why I say when I see the shift from even two years ago, Freedom Information and the, 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 the office of ALA that was very much about, we are neutral. It's no longer that. It is we are professionals. And yes, both of those lend you to, to openings. And I'd much rather defend one talking about professionalism of the staff than I would about the idea of neutrality. And, and so I think, you know, we're, it's that foment and it doesn't, once again, this is that academic forcing me to go back. Sometimes it's the, yes, we need a necessary dialogue on this. And I would love it if it were a, if it were a thoughtful drawn out process that led to logical policy. It never is. So the (laughs) ugliness and the fight, sometimes we have to have it, but we also have to stand up for it because if we don't, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us saw that. And, and I think the other thing is to pick on the media for a moment, because why not? But our discussion of politics as horse races and who's winning and who's winning the argument, not who's winning the argument, who's winning the points for today, as opposed to holding people to account to say, what are the policies? How are we moving forward on the policy, right? So, so when, when Graham introduces his latest bill about the idea that no abortion after 
12 weeks, five weeks, two weeks, two days, um, right? And oh, well, that, that's because of the midterms. It's like, wait, can we just take a moment and talk about what that proposal would mean and what the implications are? Can we just have a moment in terms of what it would mean if parents are truly in charge of the school? Because, um, you know, I'm, I think we have to, you know, I'm a white Christian male. I don't agree that what you're saying is white Christian male. It's not me, right? And the minute you give them, right, that authority, I mean, what we've seen is the minute that school boards, the minute that um, library boards get this kind of perspective on it, it gets shut down. I mean, in Texas, we had a library that said, we're not going to carry any of this communist stuff. Um, by the way, there's a new board. Uh, someone's running for a board in, in uh, Texas, and I'm not making this up, that the library should be run because this nation is a Christian nation. It should be run according to Christian values. And I said, you mean, you mean we should run things according to religious values like Sharia law? You know, it just, it just hit me that mm -hmm. way. But what we're seeing is when they get elected, suddenly they go to do it, and suddenly they get sued. And what happened in Texas is when they said, we're going to knock the librarian out of this. We're going to pull all these books. The state library said, you've lost your certification. You've lost your state funding because it doesn't fit this policy, right? We see that we do have democratic guardrails here. And your point about the autocratic in text in, in Florida is the problem isn't necessarily that the guardrails aren't there. It's that the people who are supposed to call people on the going over the guardrails aren't doing it. Right. Right. And, and so... Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we see overreach, and that leads to electric election election correction. Hopefully, it leads to different action. But that's the that's the thing we can never be lulled into, which is okay. This is necessary, but it's not sufficient for progress. That means involvement and people standing up and organizing, be part of it. And that's why librarians need to be way of organizing, teaching people advocacy, not just about a liberal advocacy or a Republican advocacy, but housing advocacy and all of these things because you know you're going to need to understand this as way of, of, of sometimes forcing progress so um it's a necessary ugly time that we're i think it's a necessary ugly time that we're in um i don't think it's yeah. guaranteed that we're going to come out of here better but i think it's an opportunity for us to come out of here better well when there's um when there's fundamental questioning of democracy itself versus other forms of government, then you know it's damn serious because there are those that no longer believe in that, which is, a, a, there. there's a bumper sticker on a, a, a pickup that I saw the other day and it said, I believe in the constitution. And I really wanted to ask the guy, what are you talking about? I believe in the constitution too, but I have a feeling you're talking about a particular second amendment that you're talking about. And I'm talking more about the first amendment and other, and the whole thing. Are you buying into the whole constitution? And I think that's a question. So I think we have to leave it for now, guys. Um, you've given me a little more hope um, that the overreach we're you know, it takes a little time to react to it, but we're seeing reactions and we're seeing the uh, the system as uh, as bad as it might be work, but the other thing that was the most hopeful is is youth, and I do believe in that. I see that uh, in what youth are interested in, 
you know, the Seattle schools have been on strike. My daughter is one of those teachers. Um, and it wasn't about the money. It was really about special education and mental health and ratios of, uh, of professionals and paraprofessionals uh, to students. And the entire the school board was shocked because they had no support at all. Everybody in the entire community lined up behind the educators. I mean, it was just like, you know, from, from the, uh, the kids to the parents, to the media, to the, uh, uh, the, the whole thing. And it, it was extraordinary because I think they were trying to pull a fast one uh, uh, using some terminology and, and it didn't work. Now, Laura, my daughter is a little upset because it, it didn't solve all of the issues, but I reminded her, you know, glass half full kind of thing. Um, so with that, you've given some hope. We will pick it up next month around maybe a more specific topic, but also in terms of this. So uh, let's take a deep breath and then we're going to jump into our awesome library thingy. Uh, I don't know. Well, we'll say Beth first and then Dave and then me. Okay. Are you guys ready? And by the way, don't forget to send me your resources um, before you forget about them because you just mentioned a whole bunch of books and things and whatever. There's I wrote Beth. them down. She, <laughs> I'll type it up. Such She's so good about that. And Dave is so bad about it. I was going to say that was not direct. Um, her turf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Deep breath. We'll be right back with the awesome library thingy. Okay, here we go. Beth, awesome library thingy. What do you got for us this month? Okay, so my awesome library thingy is actually about my own awesome library experiences this week. And so I'm cheating a little bit. But when I was in the eighth grade, I had to write my first research paper and I wanted to write it on ghost stories and witch hunts in Huntsville. I didn't know if there were any. But I had to go to our brand new library downtown that we all call in Huntsville Fort Book because it looks like a giant fort. Um, and I spent many, many hours in eighth grade in that library in the special collections room and looking through the microfiche and looking for ghost stories and writing this paper. And, you know, it was really my very first experience with like a real research and note cards and writing a draft and citations. And of course, that's almost my entire life now as an academic. And this Friday, I get to go back to the Huntsville Madison County Ooh. Public Library. And I'm going to give a talk in that building about the research I've done about its own library history. So for me, it has been, you know, a whole circle of writing my first research paper there. And I'm going to give a talk called Back on the Map. Tracing the History of Library Services in the Black Community Before the Civil Rights Era. And I'm going to look at the, or I've already looked at the history from 1940 to 1963 before, and, and the library services that were offered there. 
They didn't ever have a permanent building and the library moved around to eight different locations, none of which are there anymore because of gentrification. So hunting down the story and figuring out exactly who was there and where the librarians were was really a challenge. And we even have some cases where, you know, the librarians that were writing the history at the time, even though they all got approved by the same board, they wouldn't include the black librarian's name in the history or these folks were the story of that library was just omitted in our histories. And so it was a real challenge in going back and really trying to find that history. But we found out lots of cool things. And um, I'm really and we're we're also writing a paper about it. But um, I'm really excited to get to go back to my home library and teach them some of their own history. Yeah. So, yeah. Dave, what's up with you? What awesome thing awesome. did you find this week? Well, I picked something very much in, in relation to the topic this week. So uh, this is an article from The Intercept. Idaho's far right suffers election loss to 18-year-old climate activist. High school senior Shiva Rajabardi yes. um, uh, won elected office in Boise, but then defeating an incumbent school board trustee backed by local extremists. Um, here's a high school senior, and it was very much uh, wanted around uh, defending um, intellectual access issues and, and such. And so in a deep red area, it was the idea of people rejecting extremism, wanting people on the board that were worried about um, what we we're going to do with libraries, what we're going to do with curriculum, what we're going to do with these different issues. And so um, while it's a school board election, it was also very much involved defending the right and concept of an open school library to do it. I think that is a very awesome library thingy. Super awesome. Michael Eisenberg, do you have an awesome library thingy for us? I do. And it's um, in my own area where I am right now. It's Saratoga Springs, New York, upstate New York. And on August 24th at Cafe Lena, Cafe Lena is C-A-F-F-E, Lena, L-E-N-A, which is in downtown Saratoga Springs and is the longest continually operating folk music club in the country. Um, the Library of Congress even called Cafe Lena an American treasure. And they were recognized even by the Grammy Foundation for their contributions. Anyway, Cafe Lena is an awesome place. I've seen Don McLean there and Pete Seeger and <laughs> all kinds of great people over, over the years. Um, and they had an event called Free Band Books. It was the Free Band Books event. Uh, it was on the 24th. And, I, and there is a YouTube video of the entire thing. It was two hours. They had over 100 people attend. They had to turn away 30. And there was a bunch online. I was one of the online remote people. And it was to, to kick off and to start their own library called the Little Liberty Library which is at the um, at Cafe Lena, which is a library of banned books and providing it to the community. Saratoga uh, Public Library supported it very much as well. And there were a lot of other organizations, Skidmore College, uh, Unitarian Church, uh, Temple Sinai, and a bunch of the New York State writers. And they had authors there who read from banned books and it, it was it was absolutely terrific and very moving and the fact that it was organized by the community um as a reaction to what's going on nationally i thought 
was uh, was really special. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be us professional librarians doing things. And it doesn't have to be an official library that's registered by New York State or blah, blah, blah. A library is a library is a library. I love the little community libraries that you see in front of people's houses, the little libraries. I think those are great. And, and this one um, really touched me. I know one of the organizers and she doesn't even know I'm a librarian and, and involved with that. <laughs> she knows me as a, a musician, which is ironic and stuff. And she had invited me to it. And I just thought that they really wanted to recognize the values of literature, of libraries, increase public awareness about censorship and encourage action to, uh, to provide access to these, these books. So I was, I, I was thrilled to see that. I will put the links on our site when we uh, put up the podcast so that everybody can look at it. It was, it was, it was and, and the, the streaming was done beautifully too, I have to say. Uh, so I was, I was thrilled. That's great. Well, so, there you awesome go. Library thing. Awesome library thing. And that concludes um, this uh, recording that will be used in the testimony against my tenure in the state capital <laughs> of Austin in the coming years. Uh, that includes our latest comment uh, episode of the Libraries Lead in the New Normal. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Yanni from A Chicago Events, our producer and sound guru. A Chicago for uh, A Chicago for event production services, including sound, lighting, photo booth in the Chicago area, or online virtual streaming at achicagoevents.com. Thanks to the uh, iSchools at UT and Syracuse as well for continuing to support the work that we do. Please subscribe to us. Rate us on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please share a review. Very important to get the word out. Um, we will be with you in a month for our next episode. If you have any suggestions for topics or reactions, please contact my lawyer at info at libraryslead.org <laughs> or Facebook group Libraries Lead in the New Normal. Our website is www libraryslead.org. Thank you both very much for always an interesting conversation. I'll see you next month. Bye, y'all. Thanks, Dave.